0: There are two choices on the shelf. There's pleasing God and there's pleasing self. There are two choices on the shelf. There's worshiping God or worshiping self. There are two choices on the shelf. What's choice number one? We can worship God. What's choice number two? We can worship self. Love so amazing, love so di- divine. He demands my all, my life, my soul, everything. There are two choices on the shelf pleasing God or pleasing self. Hey, how do I know if I'm really doing that? I mean, that's a kind of frankly kind of an easy to say thing to say. Say, I am all about pleasing God. I am all about being a 24/7 worshiper of God. But how do I know whether that's really happening or not? How do I know whether that's really taking place or not? Well, let me just say this. Who I choose or how I choose to walk shows who I choose to worship. In other words, I can say, I really am all about worshiping Jesus Christ with my life, but does my life show it? I mean, honestly, seriously, around here, we're about getting real. Let's just cut the spiritual hoo-ha. Let's just be real. Is that really what's happening in life, at home? Is God being worshiped by my life at home? I mean, is Jesus Christ being displayed and worshiped in my life at work? Is Jesus Christ being displayed at the mall? Oh, now, guys, there's a hard one. Uh, I mean, everywhere. Is Jesus Christ being displayed everywhere? And what's that supposed to look like? Well, today, we're going to take a look at choosing to walk with God. And here's how we're going to do it. Like last week, if you weren't here last week, we went to Job chapter 1. And we took a look at a moment in time in a guy's life, Job. And we saw in an, an incredible situation, incredible circumstances, how Job was one in his life that feared God and that showed up in the big times of life. And, and just the feel, the experience it. I just want to not just give you a one, two, three, four, five step process. But today, here's the deal. We are going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to go there and we're going to go through the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. And I'm going to tell you folks, it is intense. It is intense. And it is just one of the coolest chapters in the scripture. And I'm just going to say this. Strap up because I get pretty excited about this passage. Okay? Because the story, the narrative is given in such a way. It's so intense. It's so cool. And frankly, we miss so much. And here's the goal. We're going to go through 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to see this disappear in just a second. Or actually, I'm sorry. I'm like pointing to this. You're looking at that. We're going to see this disappear here in just a minute. And then at the end, we're going to bring it back and we're going to fill in some things. But what we're going to see is we're going to see in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to see people whose life choices really were pointing to that. In fact, they would be people who say, I'm a Yahweh worshiper. But the truth of the matter is, is how they were living their life was going most of the time this way. And then we're going to see a guy who in the same circumstances that came about made the choices that were driven by one who wanted to walk to please God. There are two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self you ready to dig in hey around here it's like we could get a little bit excited about jesus in the bible okay is, is that all right with you i know it's your first time here i'm just a normal guy and i really like to have fun in the bible in fact around here we are fired up about jesus in the bible for a lot of very good reasons and if you're not used to getting fired up about reading the bible and really just savoring it, enjoying it here we go you ready okay all right you ready Okay, let's let's rip it. Now, if you did not bring your Bible today, we have Bibles for you, okay? Because I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to put the whole text up on the screen, and I do that on purpose. Uh, Around here, I want people's eyes in their Bible. I want people's eyes in their Bible. I want their hands in their Bible. I want their... Face in their Bible, just loving it, eating it, chewing it as we stay, Write in your Bible, enjoy it, okay, so if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, we've got some around here you can borrow, okay, we really want for you to do that, if you don't have a Bible, you do now, okay, because it's our gift to you, all right, but uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, just go around, grab one of them, they'll give you a Bible to be able to look at, okay, you ready, First Samuel chapter 17, First Samuel 17, are you there, we're in the Old Testament, right? Okay, we're in the Old Testament, and uh, by the way, before we hit it, let me read Romans fifteen four for you. Listen, for whatever was written in former days, Old Testament, were written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. L- let me pray again, because we're about to dig into some really serious stuff. God, I pray. As we dig into this passage in 1 Samuel 17, Lord, that our hearts, that our ears, that our eyes, that would be open to you. God, we're transparent right now. Help us to see you bigger in this passage so that we can walk for you bigger in this passage and in life. God, we want to be instructed. We want to endure. We need endurance. We need encouragement. We need hope, and we come now to it, to your word show it big. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Here we go. Here we go. First Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sakah, which means, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sakah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. Now y'all know where this is? Okay, you know, this is kind of over by Danville, I think. Uh, all you people from Danville, hey, that's good. I meant it good, okay? Now, here's the thing. Let me just put this in perspective. You look up on this map. This is off of Google Earth, so it, doesn't, it has roads and cities and stuff like it didn't have. But over here on your right, this is basically Saul's kingdom. Where this is the Dead Sea. North of that is the Sea of Galilee. So we're kind of in the lower portion of Israel, if you will. And here you can see this side is Saul's kingdom. Over to this side is Philistia. This is where the who lived. You guys are so smart, okay? And you see the little dot there? We're going to zoom into that, okay? Here we go. Let's zoom in. We're going to zoom in here, and uh, this, if you look on this map, you can see a couple things. In fact, up here top left is Azica. We just read that, okay? That's a city. Over here we see Saka, all right? Over here we see ephes Damim, and in here we see the Valley of Elah. I'm going to keep this up here the whole time. And I want to keep this up here because, listen, we're reading a narrative about a real story. And part of this is enjoy the story. Get into it. We're going to experience it. We're going to just love it, eat it, live it, watch it, taste it, see it. And this is going to help you see what's going on as we start reading here, okay? So we're in verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. See the valley of Elah? Okay, now there were not pole barns or whatever that is back then. But this is kind of a valley of Elah area. And drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines, verse 3, stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Got it? So you can kind of see here in this, maybe this lower and upper left portion, the Philistines are encamped along here. And above that, in the hill above the valley of Elah thing, up there, the, the Israelites are up there. And down in the valley is where some of this is taking place. Right on the borderline. Right on the borderline. You ready for battle? Here we go. Here we go. This is the cool stuff. Verse 3. Actually, verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. I mean, does it not sound like WWF? Uh, doesn't it? I mean, here's Goliath. I mean, first of all, what an awesome name. I am Goliath. Now add to that Gath. I, mean, listen, I am Goliath of Gath. It just sounds like a behemoth, doesn't it? I mean, this guy is just like, ugh, okay, let's keep on reading. Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He was nine and a half feet tall. Now, if Shack were here, I would be dwarfed right? I mean, I'm 5'11 and shrinking, okay? Uh, If Shaq were here, Shaq is what, like two feet taller than me? This guy is four feet taller than I am. This guy is like a man. I mean, a man, okay? And, And I have kind of a high, airy voice, and I so wish I could be able to read what he's about to say like Goliath of Gath but I'm not. So I'm going to try here, but this guy is huge. And in fact, the scriptures make sure we know how huge he is. He's just big. God didn't have to explain all this stuff, but look and enjoy this. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Verse five, he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead weighted 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. What's the point here? Now I could go and we could go and say, well, this way, this much and this way, this much and this way, this much. And it's like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. What's the point of the text? This is one big bad boy. This is a bad boy. I mean, this is Goliath of Gath. And he's huge. He's a monster. He's a monster. That's what's trying to be told here, okay? Let's keep on going. Verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Hey, listen, this is really, we don't get this kind of war. I mean, usually in war we think of like massive amounts of artillery. Art. What, what am I trying to say? Thank you. Um, artillery and all this kind of stuff coming and just... We just blast the bejeebers out of people, just everybody from all sides. And now think of this, though. Here is this guy who is coming and saying, here's the deal. I'm coming out. You send one person out, one-on-one. Like, what kind of battle is that? I mean, is that just not, like, totally odd for us? Actually, it was not that uncommon in that day. But I want to point out a couple of things about that. Because think of this, if you're a Philistine and you send out Goliath of Gath, and, and he goes out there and says, listen, if I win, you all be my servants. But if I'm a Philistine and I'm hearing this guy saying, if you win, we're all your servants. I'm like, dude, wait a second, can we talk this plan over for a second? Because I want to make sure this is the best kind of situation. I mean, to me, I would want to send like all thousands of us out there at one time. Let's just have a big giant brawl. Uh, It would seem to be more of a chance. But in the setup of war at the time, here's this one guy coming out. And all of the Philistines are okay with that. Uh, To me, I'm just bringing into it. In that day and age, it was not that odd. To me, I'm like, this is weird, isn't it? Are you with me or am I just whacked off? Uh, I mean, this is just kind of a little bit weird here, okay? This is a different situation. And here it is where in this situation, here Goliath comes out and makes a challenge for people to come. Now, if I were on the Israelite side, as a, you know, as a 21st century person, I'd be like, why send a guy out? Let's just all go charge him at once, right? Again, I'm just trying to help us get in this situation on really what's taking place. And so here it is in this. Goliath of Gath comes out and he says, send me one to come and fight. Now, who would be the most likely per- Well, let, let, let's keep on reading. Let's just hit verse 9. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid hey, here is Goliath over here. He comes out off of this valley, off of this mountain. He comes out into the valley. He says, come fight me, I'm Goliath of Gath. Here's all the Israelites up on the other hill on the other side. And they're over here as they're up. And they're like, okay, this is the deal that's now been presented to us. What do we do? Now, you would think that the one that would be the battle guy against this would be Saul. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, when Saul was selected as king, it was said that Saul was handsome and that Saul was head and his shoulders above everybody else in Israel. So who seems like the most fitting person to do the fight? Duh, Saul. Saul is king. Saul is huge. Saul is a stud and in, in that area. I mean, he's just a big guy. And yet... Saul and Israel, we find, are dismayed and feared. Listen, remember back to the diagram? Think about this. What are they thinking? What are they thinking? They're thinking big dude, not. Warrior, we wish we were. (laughs) Um, Probably going to die. Don't want to be a servant. And if you think of that diagram of thinking and the choice comes up to life, where, where are these folks leaning? They're leaning that it's all about them. And I just got to ask this question. Where is God, Saul? Israelites. Where is God? Where is he? I mean... Look at the history of Israel to this point. If any nation should be able to know who their warrior is, it's these folks. These folks know in their head, they know the fact that Yahweh reigns. Yahweh chose them. The Red Sea, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. All through history, all this, is God has shown himself to be the warrior. And then when it comes down to this one situation, when it comes in, it, it's like God just is not in the diagram. God is not in their view of what's taking place. Israel, where is your God? There are two choices on the shelf. Worship God. Or in this situation, what it really comes down to, folks, these folks are ultimately, because they're not worshiping God, they're worshiping themselves. We need someone. We need someone in this battle, right? Let's go to the next verse. Here we go. 12, now David, all right? Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. Verse 14, David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Okay, let's hold there. One of the things is, is in those days, it was very common for family to send one of the family members to bring food to the other family members at battle. I mean, they didn't have mess tents. They didn't have all the things that we have nowadays. So what would happen is because the distance was not that long, actually Bethlehem was about 14 miles from this point. And so periodically a family member would go to the battlefront for the purpose of bringing food for his loved ones. And so here's dad sending the youngest makes sense. I was the youngest of three. My mom loved me the most. Just kidding. Okay, but he sends the youngest out to battle to bring food to them. He goes and he brings food to them and he leaves Bethlehem behind. Okay, now, we got that. Now, the last verse says that what's happening here. For 40 days, Goliath comes out. Now, here they are over on this other hill. Okay? They're on this hill where the Philistines are. And here they are, and every morning, Goliath comes out. I am Goliath. I can't say it now. I am Goliath of Gath. You know, you come, send your man, we'll fight, blah, 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 blah. And nothing happens. And then that evening, I am Goliath of Gath, and no one comes. Now, after a couple days, I could go with that. 40 days. Would that just not be totally annoying? After all, it's like you wake up the next day and you're like, I wonder what's going to happen today. I, I bet I know. I bet Goliath of Gath is going to come. This is happening every day. And yet, I seriously, it puts into the reality here are the Israelites. Over here in the other mountainside in the valley as Goliath comes out and they have no solution. 40 days. This was not like one day or two days or three days. 40 days. That's five weeks. And they have no answer. Can you just imagine the disarray that's taking place over here? What do we do? What do we do? And again, I come back and I say, How big is your God? Answer, not very. In fact, he wasn't even in the equation. Verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers. Oh, I, I said he was coming back and forth, and I forgot to read ahead. Here we go. And Jesse said to David, his sons, take for your brothers and eat of the parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp for your brothers. Also these ten cheeses to the commander of the 4,000. And by the way, that's what my mom or dad would have done. You know, by the way, take the food to your brothers, and here's some extra. Give to the man in charge. Uh, why would he do that? Because he loves his sons, and he's taking care of their commander, There's just so much going on here. The Bible is so filled with real life, isn't it? It's just so amazing. It's so so fun. I don't get it why people don't have fun with the scriptures. There's so much in there. And just dad is taking care of his kids. Verse 18, Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of the 4,000. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Dad loved his kids and he wanted to know how they were doing. Verse 19, Now Saul... And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. But what's a little humorous there? I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm going, what fight? I mean, what fight? And again, folks, I'm serious about this. We, we read the scriptures and yet we lose sometimes the reality of what God is trying to help us see in the situation that's taking place. These are real people struggling with real life. And these are people, they have no answer. What you, you know, David comes up here in just a minute and is like, we're fighting. Where? When? How? Like, what are you doing? This is like a camp out of what's going on here. Right? Let's keep going. Verse 20, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. Keep that in mind. And took the provisions and went, and Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. By the way, just a real quick note, David makes sure that his sheep are cared for, and David makes sure the things he brought are cared for. I just want to say something. I think the reason some of those things are being included in the scripture, the Spirit didn't have to leave these things in, but are showing us David is a man of consistent integrity, and character in caring for the little things. In fact, would you keep your finger there and go over to Psalm chapter 78. I've just got to read this. Keep this in mind about David. This sheep thing is no little deal. The very last verses in Psalm 78, my wife some years ago had stitched this onto a picture that I have uh, it's, this is a powerful, powerful passage. verse seventy psalm 78 listen to this. He God, chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfold. from following the nurses the nursing ewes, he brought him to the she- to shepherd, Jacob, his people. Do you ever feel like your life is completely insignificant with what you 're doing? Listen, God saw David faithful, taking care of his sheep. And God knew if David was faithful in taking care of his sheep, he would be faithful in taking care of a nation. From out of the sheepfold, God raised a man to run and to lead a nation. And here we come back. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 17. And here we come back. David is taking care of the things God's given. Let's keep on going. And he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words before. And David heard him. Now listen to me. Same story. Same scene. Same lighting, same camera angles, completely different approach in what happens from here. They were seeing, the Israelites and Saul were seeing the same thing, day in and day out, day in and day out. And then David comes in and he sees the exact same scenario taking place. And I want to tell you something, he reacts completely differently. Same situation, completely different walk. Why? Why? There are two choices on the shelf. Worship God or worship self. Our walk shows who we worship. Let's keep on going. Verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. I'm all for that one. Verse 26, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this? Look, Look at the thinking. Look at the thinking. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? There's a lot of theology right there, folks, at that day and age. He was making a grand difference. This is not just a warrior. This is not one of God's people. Same scene. Different, completely different interpretation of what's going on. And then he says, this is uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. Uh, again, same picture taking place. David comes in. He sees what's going on. Israel for 40 days is like, ah, what do we do? What do we do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, we're going to die. Oh, he's big. Oh, all this is going on. David comes up, takes a look at the situation. and He's like, what is with this dude? This pagan stating and defying the living God. Are you guys crazy? Same scene, completely different perspective. There are two choices on the shelf. Worship God, worship self, and the walk shows who we worship. And who we worship changes who, how we walk. Let's keep on going. 27, and the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be to the man who kills him. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? Answer, dad sent me. Okay, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Ooh, ooh, did you get that? Man, I'm the youngest of three brothers, like I said. We had smack talk going around in our house. And this is older brother smack talking little brother. Who who are the youngest in families? God loves you. (laughs) Others God loves you too. I'm just having some fun with it. But listen, you see brother here. Just notice that. Why did you leave those few little, measly little sheep? David, David. I know your presumption. Oh, that's great. And the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David. by the way, what? I want to be real careful here because this, I'm going to announce this. This is sanctified imagination potentially here. But I sit here and I wonder, why was David's, or David's brother so honked off? I wonder if it's because he heard what David was saying a little bit ago. And for 40 days, his oldest brother is living like a spiritual wimp before God. And little brother comes up and says, what's the deal with this uncircumcised Philistine defying the armies of the living God? And you've been there for 40 days acting like one who is a complete spiritual wimp, not walking with God. And I want to tell you, I just wonder if this is not a great conviction laid upon the oldest brother by the words of the youngest brother. text doesn't tell us that, but I just wonder. And then he goes on. I know your presumption of the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle, verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? By the way, the now means that this has happened probably before. Okay? Um, Was it not but a word? Yes, it was. And he turned away from him, David, toward another and spoke in the same way and the people answered him again. Basically, David's like, what have I done now? Speak to the hand. And he goes around and he talks to someone else. By the way, I want to tell you, David is a man of courage. We see this continuing as a theme in his life. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. Listen, the words that David was speaking caught people's attention. No one had been talking like this before. And they caught the attention that here's this guy talking in a whole different way, and he goes to Saul, or the people go to Saul. And Saul sends for David, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart... Listen to this. Folks, listen to the guts of this kid before the king. I mean, this is maturity. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with him, for you, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped past, will go and fight with this Philistine. I'm just, what? What a, what a kid. What a young man. I mean, all of the nation is quaking, and this one guy, I'll go take him now You're either really foolish, or there's something there. Let's take a look at what's there. Verse 33, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go and fight the Philistine with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Listen to this. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, and that lion or bear took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. <laughs> what a guy. I mean, I, I'm to me, I would be quaking, let the lion take the little sheepy. I, I mean, sorry, it's just a sheep. But David is like this just bruiser of a, in his thinking. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him down and killed him. Can you just picture this? A guy running after a bear, grabbing a hold of the thing, and the two Russell of David just grabbing it. Um, Wow. Verse 36, listen to this. Your servant has struck both the lions and the bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Now I just want to tell you, right there, there's a potential where this could really sound quite arrogant. But we got to keep reading because we get what's happening here with David. Uh, Verse 37, and David said, I'm sorry, the end of 36, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, who delivered him, through this situation, David's theology was right on top of it. David knew exactly what was happening. This was not me. This was the Lord allowing me to do this. And David is going to this Goliath situation on hand. And David is in his theology, is reversing back to what God has already done in his life. And he sees God there and God there and God there and there and there and there and there and there and there. Why not here? Why not here? And I just want to tell you, we struggle with doing that. That's just fact. We have a great way, especially in American culture, to be able to dissect out various things of life. We come here, we worship God, and then we go and we cuss the living lights out of our mouths. We come and we worship God in a Bible study together, and then we go home and we treat our wife in the way that God would not want us to. And we think in all of this that that's okay, because there's a sectoring out. And I just want to say here, like Job last week, like David here, there's this consistent thing of God, 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 and then bam, God in the situations of life. Then Saul clothed David with, "We got to get finished." Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he t- tried uh, in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, "I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them." So David put them off. He took his staff in his hand and chose five stone, smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward, came near to David. Okay, smack talk's coming. With his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. It's out. Here we go. This has got to be what we are about to read, one of the most amazing, powerful, theology, mature, confident Bold, Yahweh is big statement almost in the entire Bible. Verse 48, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Ah, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Can you hear the drum roll going? the God of the armies of Israel. Can you just imagine how heaven is just thrilled whom you have defied? This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. That's what was going on here. Listen, folks, this passage so often is talked about how you and I can succeed in big things in life. And I want to tell you that's not what this is about. This is all about helping us to see that one who lives under the submission and the sovereignty with boldness under the Lord, God will do what God wants to do and show himself big. It is all about God. It is about a big God, a wow God, and oh my God. And David knew it. And that's what David was doing. This is about God. This is all about God. This is all about God, folks. All of life is about God. It's all about God, right? But don't we struggle with it? <laughs> Thank you. Don't we struggle with it? I do. I do. Aren't you glad we got a big God who's patient, loving? Aren't you glad God gives us the opportunity to repent, to change? Big God. Hey, let me uh, finish off. Let's just real quick go back to our diagram. Okay, here's our, let me just hit a couple things. When life comes along, we have choices and decisions in life all the time. Today, you've had a myriad of choices already today. Should I go to church? Should I go to this new church that I've never been to? Should I, what should I wear? What should I eat? When should I wake up? We have choices all the time. As we come along, life has choices. And the question is, is where are we wanting to go? There are two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And our walk tells who we worship. And the scriptures tell us over and over again, God wants us to live for him and walk for him, okay? You know, here we go. It is easier to worship self. Is it not easy? Hey, listen, sin is really easy to come by, isn't it? Oh, but that's for those people. Hey, come on. That's for you and I too. It is really easy to sin. And in fact, sin is very enticing. Sin is very enticing. And we are all bent this way. We're all bent this way. Just the nature of sin. Saved, but still the nature of sin. Paul talks about, I want to do what's right, but I have a hard time. Isn't that true? And he says, it's about, i got to battle myself. It's like, man, I want to go this way. But it's just like, what's the deal? Can I... And it is, it is harder. I'm just going to be honest with you. It is harder following Christ. The scripture is plain about that. We discipline ourselves to godliness. It, it, it's about obedience. And yet, out of that, the scriptures also point to this. That the life of the transgressor is hard. But, in fact, I've got to read a couple of these passages. We're a few minutes over, but I've just got to read these to you. Put, put these down. Write them down. Proverbs 13:15. Listen to this. Good sense wins favor, but the life of the transgressor is hard. Sin is easy, but a sinful life is hard. Listen to this though, Psalm 32:10. Many are the series, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who worships the Lord. Romans 2, 9 through 10, this is the kicker. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. And now evil sounds really evil and nasty, doesn't it? But listen, evil is really enticing. And for you younger folks, I just want to tell you something. I'm trying to spare you life of pain. Adult after adult could get up here and tell you about pain that they made from bad choices in life. The life of tribulation and distress. But then it goes on to say, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And if you can imagine this being a, 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 a road, a, a gravel road, as you drive along, we may have a tendency to be hanging lefts. And you know, after it gets wet and the groove gets going, it kind of gets like a Disney World where the car just stays on the track. You know, you just take your hands off and you're going boing, 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 boing. But you're going in the same way the whole way. And listen... I want to tell you, when we seek to make changes by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, helping us to make changes, to honor God, it is harder, and it's kind of like the groove has been going this way. And to make a right, it's like, uh, to get out. But we put off and we put on, Ephesians says. And so in this process, here we go, uh, uh, and you know what starts happening? The tread starts getting deeper that way. And you know what? When we make a left, what does the Scripture say we do? repent. God, I've sinned. Forgive me. And then next time, God, I'm going to, that way, I'm going right. I'm hanging right. I'm all about right. And listen, David was the kind of guy who had made right turns, right turns, lion and bear, lion and bear. And then Goliath, big deal. Big deal. It's about a big God. It's about a big God. And I just want to say this, give you some hope. If you have been making left turns, left turns, left turns, listen, God wants you to change. God calls you to change. His love demands our change. And we want to help you. We want to help you. Just a couple quick ways to be able to help. One, we're going to have the Mibors and... Uh, Kevin and Valerie and uh, Carl and Stace are going to be down here after the service. You can come on If you just want to pray with someone, you can come on up. They'll pray with you, okay? You can just, ladies, grab one of the ladies and guys, grab one of the guys. You just pray with you. If you need help, you don't have to, but that's going to be when we're done. They'll be up here for that. Another thing, we're going to be having small groups coming up here in a while. And here at Harvest, we are big on small groups. And I just want to tell you this. Our small groups are oriented to help this happen. Are oriented to help this shift from this. Or a group of people hanging together, encouraging and working together as we grow in Christ. Listen, David was the kind of guy. Worship team, come on up. David was the kind of guy who sought to live and to walk for Christ. Lastly, as they're coming up. Worshiping God is about a truth-driven life. I want to, but God. It's a principle-driven life, a truth-driven life, a feelings-oriented life is all about self. I want, I want, I like, I like. And friends, I just want to tell you we've got a great big God who loves and wants to help you change. And for those of you who are persisting, I just say praise God, keep at it. Keep at it. His love demands everything. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Help us to grow and change for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.